How to Play, Episode 34, De Bergen von Bergen. Hello and welcome back to the How to Play podcast. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, coming to you from the How to Play studios in western New York. The How to Play podcast is all about learning and teaching games. In each episode, I provide a full explanation to help you learn and learn to teach another great game. For more How to Play episodes, special episodes, teaching guides, our discussion forums, and to help support the show, visit our website at www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Also, be sure to visit our affiliated podcast on the Dice Tower Network at dicetowernetwork.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Thank you again for tuning in to the How to Play podcast. This is your host, Ryan Sturm. And today, I'm going to cover one of the most popular, if not the most popular game there at the How to Play request list. And that game is Die Bergen von Bergen, which is, of course, the German title. The English translation of that is The Castles of Burgundy. But, you know, I'm a sucker for a good pun, and, and I think you can't beat the original translation and how fun it is to say the original title of Die Bergen von Bergen. It's just excellent. You can't top a title like that. So this game was chosen by you, the listener, so if you want to have an impact on future episodes, please go check out and participate in that request list. I have several games there that you can vote on and you can add your own suggestions to that list. You may be surprised to hear from me so shortly once again. Well, uh, part of that is due to some life circumstances. I actually broke my arm playing in a you know rec league soccer game. I, I broke my, I fractured my radial head. And so I'm not in a cast, but uh, I am a little little unmobile uh, as to my normal self. And so uh, the sad part is uh, my hobbies of, of playing soccer and frisbee golf and drumming on the rock band and all those other fun things I like to do uh, are, are suffering. But fortunately, podcasting is something that does not require a lot of rotation of your right forearm. So uh, you are the winners of uh, my unfortunate life circumstances. So here I am once again, January 16th, 2012, in front of the microphone here for you today. So if you listen to my top 50 list, and if you haven't, you, you should, shame on you, you know that this game was my favorite original game from the last year, 2011. You know, I, I got a chance to play this in the middle of the year last year and really very much enjoyed the game. And here's why. Here's what I like about this game. Uh, this game gives me another option of a nice two-player game to play with my wife. It has really that just that nice sort of non-confrontational feel, and it really very much works well with two players, whereas a lot of the games in my collection, uh, not so much. And Another bonus is my wife, Kristen, she, she really enjoys this game as well with me. One thing I really like about this game is there's 25 turns in the game, and each turn you have tough choices. There's probably about six or seven different real options that you could do, and you have to figure out which one you think is the best, which I think is great. It's got that whole building up feeling where you start with nothing and you sort of have to create something, which is you know something that's just very satisfying in a game. There's a lot of different strategic paths that you can go down and explore, and different than some other games where you know normally there's there's maybe four or five paths and you pick one and go down that path. 
In this game, you have to play most of the paths. I would say you probably have to try to play maybe two-thirds of the game. And so the choices are which part of the games are you not going to play, which, which is sort of interesting. And you have to do that prioritization that I always find appealing. And you also have these extra resources that allow you to use other options that you can splurge, uh, if you will, on, on certain options when something becomes really appealing. So that adds another decision to make in the game. So there's a lot of good choices, and it's a very fun game to play. So that that's what I love about the game. There's a few things that maybe aren't so great about this game, and, and I think there are some people who this game wouldn't appeal to. First of all, I'll tell you, although this game says it plays two to four players, I really don't want to play this with four anymore. Uh, I played it with four the first two times that I played it. And it, it's not a real heavy game, but it is does weigh in at 30 to 45 minutes per player. And so in a four-player game, this can stretch from two, two and a half, to possibly upwards of three hours for a game that's not really that heavy. And although the decisions are interesting, uh, it doesn't keep everyone involved during that whole time period. And so I really think this is a very good couples game, and you could play it with three, but my opinion is it's really best with two players so if you're looking to get this game i i think you should be aware of that that you know it's really more for that two three player range otherwise i think you're going to be a little disappointed in it the next thing i would say that is annoying about this game is it's got a lot of pieces it's got probably over 100 200 of these little hexagons and they're in seven or eight different piles and you have to set them all up into these piles and make sure they're all face down and then put them all back into the bags and i don't know it's just a little annoyance if you <laughs> if you don't like games that take a while to set up or put away i'll tell you that's just a bit annoying if you want a heavier game this is not really a heavy game if you need a lot of thematic integration and need a, a strong theme in a game this is not that kind of game it's definitely a euro game it's a mechanics first game and hits on that stereotypical tacked on theme that we see from a lot of euro games and uh, characteristically with Stefan Feld games the theme is not very strong but uh, but the gameplay is generally very good and the last thing I would say is that, you know, like I said, each turn, players are faced with six, seven, eight different ways to play out their turn. And so if you are or you play with people who are prone to analysis paralysis, this is one of those games that could really uh, force them to take a, a long time because it does take some time to think through those options. So this game was designed by one of the hottest designers, I think, of, of the last few years, and that is Stefan Feld, one of my favorite designers, and it was released in the year 2011. As I said, it plays between two and four players. Uh, I think it's best with two, playable with three, and I personally would choose something else to play with four. The complexity rating. This game is a blue square. Oh, it feels good to say that. It felt even better when I was writing the script. It was a, a little shorter session. It's a, a very straightforward game. I think most people can pick up and enjoy it. You could, you could play this game with, with just about anybody as long as they're willing to spend a little bit time you know figuring out and, and learning what's going on. It is a little bit of a longer game, especially, like I said, if you play with those higher player counts. So let's get into the explanation. We'll have our hook, 
the meat of the rules and a hamster to give you some strategy. As always, I recommend if you have that game, have it right there in front of you, uh, the rule book, or you can get access to the pictures from the link on my website, howtoplaypodcast.com, which is also where there's a link there to go to the How to Play request list to vote on all the other listeners' requests and add your own requests so that you can have a part in one of the upcoming How to Play episodes. All right, let's do it. Let's get to the hook. Part one, the hook. What the game is about. Welcome to the Bergen von Bergen. In this game, you are a... Where's Burgundy? I don't know where Burgundy is. I was going to say you're a German prince, but um, I'm thinking it's France. I don't know. I'll have to do some research and edit this in to make me sound smart. You are a prince of an unknown European country building a beautiful estate. Um, it's France, sir. France. Uh, Burgundy is a region of what is now uh, known as France. Thank you, Skippy. Be sure to uh, smooth all that out in the editing later. And don't forget, you got it, sir. I don't know what I ever did before I had my own intern, Skippy. Okay, so, Mr. Fancy Pants Prince, you want to build up your beautiful landscape. You have your estate in front of you, which is simply a map of hexes that's divided in colored sections. And although there are several ways to score points in the game, the most common and important way is to fully fill those colored sections with hexagonal tiles. This game takes place over five rounds, and each of these rounds, you'll get to play five turns, so five groups of five for a total of 25 turns. On each turn, you will simply get two actions, and the most common use of these actions is to either take a tile from the available supply on the main game board, claiming it and placing it in this little storage area that you have on your map. Or, the other action that most people take is to take one of those tiles in your storage areas and place that onto the map of your estate. So on many turns, you'll simply either be taking two tiles from the supply and putting them in your storage, placing two of the tiles that you already have in your storage onto your estate, or maybe you'll take one tile and then place a tile onto your map. Maybe that tile you just took, or a different tile that you already have in storage. Sounds easy, right? Well, the tricky part is that your two actions are limited by the roll of two dice. On each turn, each player is going to roll two dice, and the result of those dice will limit which of the tiles you can take and where you can place them. So on that main supply board of tiles, there are six different pools of tiles to choose from, each associated with a, a number. It has a picture of a die with pips on it, one, two, three, four, five, six. And that map of your estate, you will notice, each hex has a picture of a die on it with a certain roll result, either 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, or 6. So if you roll a 3 and a 4, you could, say, take a tile from the pool that has the tiles marked with a 3 and a tile from the 4 pool, and that would be your turn. Or you could, say, take a tile from that 3 pool and then place it on a hex with a 4. Or, of course, vice versa. You could take a tile from the four pool and place it on your map marked with a three. 
And this gives you a good set of options with which to choose. And it's up to you to figure out which of those options has the potential to score you the most points, with one of the major goals being to fill up those sections on your board. And it's helpful to fill them up as quickly as possible because you score more points. And at the end of each round, after five turns, those tile pools clear out and are refreshed with new tiles, giving all the players a fresh set of options. And at the end of five of those rounds of five turns each, then the game is over, and the player with the most points will win the game. Part 2. The Meat. How to Play the Game. Okay, so as I said, you will roll two dice, and those two dice provide you with the different options for what you can do as actions on your turn. There's actually four different things that you can do with each of those dice. So you are allowed to take the same one twice, or you're allowed to choose two different ones, assigning a die to each action. So we need to talk about those now. Let's talk about choosing two of the four possible actions. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I should have warned you. I can't actually play guitar with a fractured radial head, so uh, it's going to have to be animal sound segues for this one. So the first action, and the one you're probably going to do to start the game, because you won't have any, and that is to take tiles from the main supply board. And as I already mentioned, uh, the largest feature of the game board is actually these pools of tiles. It's divided up into six separate sections, each containing a, a set number of tiles of a set number of different categories. And there's also a one pool of tiles there in the center, which we'll talk about in a little bit. In a two-player game, each of these sections will just have two tiles, but if you have four players, then each of the sections will have four tiles. So if I roll two dice, as I said earlier, if I roll a three and a four, I could look at the board and choose one of the tiles from the three and one of the tiles from the four, and that would be my turn. On your player mat, in the lower left corner, there are three blank hexagon areas, and that's your storage area. So when you take tiles from the board, you are not allowed to place them directly onto the map. That is a separate action. You have to take them and place them in your storage area. Now note, there are three hexagonal symbols there in your lower left. That means you're limited to how many tiles you can hold at one time. You can't just pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up all sorts of tiles. You have to start transferring them to your map. You are allowed to take tiles if your storage is full, but in this case, if you were to do that, you would have to throw away one of the tiles that you already have, which is you know, not really optimal. So the second option you can do on your turn is to then take those tiles from storage and place them onto your estate map. And there's a few good things about doing this. First of all, almost every tile has some sort of special ability that you're going to get immediately. And you get that special ability when you place it on your map, not when you take the tile. So be careful about that. The second good thing that happens is, as I said, the map is divided into different sections. And if you complete a section, then you score points. And that is sort of the main way of scoring points and winning the game is by filling up these sections. So first of all, there's a, a few rules about placing these tiles. And the first most important rule is you have to build adjacent to tiles that you already have on the board. 
and so this really limits you early in the game. In the beginning of the game, you will have one castle to start, and depending which uh, starting board you're using, if you're using the beginner board, you'll have one castle right in the center of your map. And so since it's a hexagon, you'll have six options of hexes that you can place next to. You can only place next to those areas. Also, each tile on your map is in a specific colored section and you have to match the color of the tile to the space on the board where it goes. For example, the animals are light green and in order to play the animals you need to place them into a light green section. So you have to match the die roll with the action when you do it and you also must match the color and it must be adjacent to a hex you already have on the board. And the nice thing about adding another hex is it's going to give you more options for placement in future actions. So that's how you add a tile. Once you do that, you can use the special ability of the tile, and we'll talk about what those do in just a second. But the next thing you get to do is very important. You get to score points if you finish the section. Now, the sections come in all sorts of sizes. Most of them are one through six groups of hexes, and they're clearly outlined into little colored sections there. If you finish the section, it might just be one tile because of just one dark green hex there. Then you finished it, and you get to score for doing that. The scoring is based on two things how quickly you finish the section, and the size of the section. First of all, the round bonus. If you look in the upper left corner, it shows the five rounds, which are labeled with letters A, B, C, D, and E. And you get points based on what round it's in. You'll see this little orange glob, which represents uh, victory points. That's the victory point symbol. And respectively, those rounds give you 10, 8, 6, 4, and 2 points for finishing a section. So as you can see, it's quite significant. If you finish a section in the first round, you'll get a 10-point bonus for doing that. If you finish it in the last round, you only get 2 points. So here's where finishing sections early becomes important. The second piece of scoring is how large that section is. And that is found on your player mat. And these numbers go up in sort of a triangular pattern as far as how much they score. So if you have one, two, three, four, five tile sections, you score one, three, six, ten, and fifteen points respectively. So if you finish a one tile section in round A, you'll get ten points for finishing in round A, and one point for it being a one tile section, ten plus one. You get eleven points for finishing that section. If you finish a four tile section in round C, round C pays six points, and four tile sections pay ten points, so six plus ten is sixteen, that would score you sixteen points. And so you just need to add the points given for the round and the points given for the size, and you immediately mark that score on the victory point track that goes around the board. As we get later in the game, you'll have completed entire colors on your estate. So we have different colored sections on your board, uh, but for most colors, there are two different sections. Say there's two yellow sections, and there's two blue sections, and there's two dark green sections. And if you finish all of the sections of a certain color, then you get a bonus for doing that. And this is actually a race between the other players. There is a bonus for first 
first place and a bonus for second place. So the first person to finish all the yellow, for example, will get the first place yellow points, which gives points based on the number of players. For two players, the first person to finish all of a color gets a five point bonus. And there's a little token there on the board and you would take that and score points for that. So you're trying to finish sections quickly. You're trying to finish big sections because you get more points for doing that. And you're trying to finish colors because you get bonuses for doing that. So those are the first two actions and the most common actions. Taking tiles and placing and scoring tiles. So you would place it, get the ability, and then score if you finished a section, and you'd get more points if you finished a whole color. There's a couple more actions, though, that you're able to do. The third action is to ship goods. You start the game with three goods tiles, and they are of random numbers. The goods tiles have six different numbers on them, one, two, three, four, five, and six. So you'll have three random ones to start with, and you'll have the ability to get more during the game. And one of the actions you can do is to ship these goods that you have to get points and the money in this game. The money is called silverlings. It's a little silver rock. So this is another way to earn points in the game. Say I had two four tiles and I rolled a four. I could sell those four tiles. That, that might be one of my actions. I do that by flipping over those two goods. I score victory points for each tile depending on the number of players. If we were playing with two players, you get two points per tile. So I would score four points and I get one money for selling goods. It does not matter the number of tiles that I sell, I always only get one money. So it's points per tile plus always one money. You have sort of a blank square, that's where the flipped over tiles go. For the most part, it doesn't really matter, but there may be a special tile that may for the goods that you've sold. And the last thing you can do, and this is kind of the booby prize, but you'll be forced to do that sometime, is to get some of these worker chits. Uh, you start the game with a couple of these worker chits, depending on your player order. If you were going second in the game, you would start with two workers. And you may find there are situations, if you have none of these workers, where you're not really able to do anything. And that's what these workers are for. They Each worker chit allows you to modify your die roll by one either way. So if I rolled a four and I really wanted a five, I could spend a worker chit to make that into a five or a three. And be aware that for the purposes of this game, numbers wheel. And what I mean by that is if you had a six, you could use a worker to make your six into a one or vice versa. You can turn a one into a six. You are allowed to use multiple workers. So if I had a two and I wanted a four, I could spend two workers. And in this way, if you spend three workers, you can get any die roll that you want. This is that splurge decision that I talked about earlier. You have to decide when you want to use these guys and you want to use them just when you really need them or you think it's very important for you to take that certain tile or to be able to play a tile at that certain time. And so this is sort of a, a reload action. If there's nothing else really that beneficial that you can do, then you can use any number on the die to take two workers. So those are the four actions you can do. Take a tile, place a tile, ship your goods tiles, or as your booby prize, get two little workers. And don't forget about those workers. You can use those workers to modify your die rolls, to get different tiles than the numbers that you rolled, or to place them in different spots than the numbers that you rolled. 
or even to ship different goods. Those workers can really help you out. But there's actually one other thing that you can do on your turn, and that is to buy from the black market. I mentioned that center of the board will have a set of tiles in it. You're not allowed to take from that using rolls of the dice. You have to spend money uh, to get these tiles, which are called the black market. And this center section will just have a, sort of a random assortment of tiles, and it allows you to get sort of an extra tile on your turn but it's subject to the same rules of, of taking a tile from a die roll. You have to spend two money to get one of the tiles from the center, and then you just place it in your storage area. And so this just gives you an extra place to, to get more tiles. And this is the importance of shipping those goods, allows you to get money, which allows you to buy from the black market. You start with one money, and you know shipping goods is one way to get money, and there's one other way to get money, which I'll talk about when we get to the different kinds of tiles. But don't forget, and that's an important part of this game, is that you can buy tiles from the center with your money. You can only buy one tile per turn, and the tiles cost two money. So that's your turn. Choose two things to do of taking tiles, placing tiles, which are sort of the major actions. You might also ship goods or get two work and if you have two money, you might buy a tile from the center. And that's what you do on your turn. So now you might be wondering, what are on all these different tiles? Well, let's get to that now. The six different kinds of tiles. All right, so you should have your estate in front of you. And if you look at that estate, it's sort of a map of hexes and with the starting version of the game all the players have the same estate and all the players will start in the center at their castle and have to build out from there as I said there are six different colors and so if you buy a brown tile you have to place it in a brown section now some of these sections have more hexes than others I'm gonna go through the different kinds of tiles from the most plentiful to the most rare so I'll start with the most plentiful, and that is the brown building tiles. And on that starting board, you'll find four brown sections of different sizes. One that's one hex big, two that are three hexes big, and, and one that is five hexes big. And this is where you can place buildings. Now remember, all of the tiles, first you take them and put them in your storage area. They don't really do anything. But then when you place them, you take them, you place them in the section, and after you place them on your board adjacent to a tile you already have in correlating to a die roll that you have rolled, then you get a special ability as a bonus. The special ability depends on the kind of tile that it is. And to the left of your estate, you will see a whole bunch of icons explaining the different abilities of the tiles. Eight of those are sort of brownish in background and are buildings. Those are the most common. Those are the building tiles. And they all have sort of a simple special ability. The most common special abilities of the brown buildings is after you play them, a lot of them let you take a tile of a certain color, or some of them let you get a free play anywhere onto your board. Um, one of them gives you four VPs. So they're very simple abilities. Usually it's take an extra tile or play an extra tile, something like that. As you see, there's eight different types. And there's seven different copies of each type of the building in the game. You are allowed to have multiples of the same building, but 
there is a rule. Remember how I said there are different sections? I'm going to call those towns. You'll have four little towns, groups of brown hexes. You cannot have two of the same building in the same town, in that same little brown building section, though you could have two churches as long as they're in different sections. And that's a unique rule just for buildings. In the other colors, duplicates are not a problem. So those are the brown building tiles. A simple special ability, there's seven of eight different kinds. Next, let's talk about the yellow tiles because they're pretty similar. You'll have six spots on your board for yellow tiles, two groups of three, and these are specialized special abilities. There's only one unique tile of each kind of the yellow abilities, and they're divided into basically two different groups. About half of them give you some sort of special ability throughout the game that lets you, you know, break one of the rules and gives you sort of an advantage that the other players don't have. An example would be one of the tiles allows you to break that town rule that I was just talking about. You can put as many churches as you want in one section. The other group of these yellow tiles are some sort of specific victory point bonus that you get at the end of the game. For example, there's one that gives you four victory points at the end of the game for each church tile that you have. And there's one of those for all the different buildings. There's another one that gives you points for how many goods you've sold, one that gives you points for different kinds of animals. And so you get the idea. The yellow tiles are unique special abilities. Half of them give you an advantage in the play of the game, and half of them will give you a victory point bonus bonus based on having different items. Next, you have two animal pens. On the starting board, you have a group of five light green tiles and a single group of one. And these are for getting the animal tiles. Animal tiles are simply victory points. If you get a tile with three cows on it and you put it down, bang, you get three victory points. Hooray! But within those pens, the victory points are cumulative for the same type of animal. So if later on I get a tile with two cows on it and I place it down, bang, I get five victory points. Hooray! The animals don't have to be really adjacent to each other. They just have to be in the same pen, meaning the same little light green section. The other most important rule about the light green section is that, as this is the most thematic part of the entire game, that whenever you take or place an animal tile, you must actually make the appropriate animal sound with gusto. You know, whether it be moo or ma, ma, or or See, I did that whole bit without even using sound effects. Believe it or not, that was just me. Great job, sir. But don't forget that rule. It is actually in the rule book. Uh, don't bother to look it up. If you take or place an animal tile, you must at that point make the appropriate animal sound. If you do not, all the other players score, let's say, 17 victory points. Uh, sir, I just went ahead and checked, and it's actually not in the rule book. Quiet, Skippy. The fourth kind of tile is the shipping areas, or the boats. You have six hexes that are in water, two groups of three, and these are for boats. And these boats serve two purposes. First of all, they allow you to get more goods tiles, and second of all, they allow you to jump forward in the turn order. So let's talk about this goods mechanic for a second. At the beginning of the game, the turn order is random, and so you take one of the markers for each player, and you stack them in a random 
order to figure out your first, second, or third place, and so on. Throughout the play of the game, the first person to play a ship is able to move on the ship track on the main board. And whoever is the farthest to the right gets to go first in each round until somebody does something about that by placing their own ship. And when you place a ship, you get to move forward and you get to go on top. And the turn order goes the person furthest to the right in precedent of the person on top. So then in that same turn, if the person who was third placed a ship, they would go on top on that second box. And so now they would be in first for the following turn. And players will sort of leapfrog in this way throughout the game, changing the turn order, which is important because they're all competing after those same groups of tiles that come out each round. But in addition, the person who is in first has a special job. They have to roll the goods die. Now, all the players, as I said, roll two six-sided dice at the same time. The person who's in first place rolls the goods die, which is a white die. All the other dice are in respective player colors. And there are five stacks of goods that are the timer for this game. It's actually a very clever idea. There's five little boxes that say A, B, C, D, and E up in the upper left corner. And in the first round, you take that first stack and you put them in five boxes from top to bottom. And each turn, you're going to add one of those to the board. And when that first column is empty, then you know the round is over and you set up and you set out the next column, and so on. So there's something to do there at the beginning of the round, but it also is a very handy reminder of what turn it is and what round it is. So the first player will roll the white die, and whatever number is on it, let's say it was a four, there are six goods containers on the board labeled with one, two, three, four, five, six, right next to the tiles that players are getting. And so say they rolled a four, they would take that good and put it in the four box. And in this way, these storage boxes are going to start to fill up. When a player plays a ship, they get to take one of the storage boxes. And here's the part that's a little bit confusing. When you take from a storage box, you can take from any of the six storage boxes irrespective of which number is on it. The number is only there for placing them into the storage boxes. When you take them out of the storage boxes and you place a ship, you get your choice of whatever is there. You get to take whatever those goods are there and you have a little area of storage for the goods that you have. You can have three different types of goods as is shown there on your player mat. If there are any more goods there that you can't take because that would make you have a fourth type of good, you have to leave whatever extra goods are there. So that is what the ship does. It really does two things. It gets you the goods from the board that you're allowed to, as an action, sell for victory points and for money. And it also lets you get up higher on that turn order track, that ship track, the six spaces. Every time you take a ship, you're going to get to move to the right. And so if you're really concerned about getting a tile first, then playing a ship is a good thing. Also, when you see one of those storage areas fill up with, say, multiple goods of the same color, then it's a good time to play a ship also because you're going to be getting a good set of goods. Those are the ships. Move up one on the ship track, which affects turn order, and take one storage box of goods. Remember, whoever's in first must roll the white die every time and move a good into the correct storage container, and that helps be the timer for the game. 
Next, the castles. Now we're getting to the areas. There's only three castle areas on the board. There's just not very many, and there won't be that many available. And part of the reason for that is because the castle's pretty darn powerful. What the castle lets you do is when you place it, you immediately get another action, and you get an action that can be any number die that you want. So when you place a castle, effectively what that allows you to do is to take any tile, just not from the black market, or to place any tile you want onto your board, just following the color rules and adjacency, or sell any good that you want, or to take two workers, which would be the stupidest move ever. So Dark Green Castle lets you do an action of whatever you want. It's pretty awesome. And then the last type of tile is also pretty good. There's only three of those on your board, and those are the mines. The mines are the only tiles that don't do anything when you immediately place them unless you finish the region. What the mines do do is at the end of each round, they produce for you one money. And as we've talked about, two money gets to buy you a tile. So if you get a couple of these early and they produce a lot of money, that can cash into a lot of tiles that you can buy. And if you don't end up spending them, they're still at least worth victory points at the end of the game. So there seems to be a pretty direct correlation, a little supply and demand here. The one there's less of uh, are, are a bit more powerful. And so those are typically the ones that, that players fight over a little bit more quickly. But now you know about all the tiles. The buildings, they just do kind of normal special abilities. The yellows do unique special abilities. The green are animals that are cumulative points if you get managed to get multiples. The blues let you jump on the turn order track and let you get more goods. The green give you any action you want, pretty much, and the mines produce money for you. And if you forget, they're all over there on the left side for you to see what they do. So that's about it. Let's just go back over and talk about the overall structure for the game. The structure for the game. So we're about ready to play. So all you're going to do is on each turn, you're going to roll two dice unless you're the start player. And then you're going to roll three dice. And whoever had that white die is going to take that good and put it in the correct storage area marked on the main board. Then each player, in turn order, dictated by that ship track, will take two actions. And that will be important because people who are first will get first crack at those tiles that are in the main supply area. Remember, on your turn, you may also, if you have the money, spend two money to buy one of those tiles in the center called the black market. And we'll do this for five turns, and hopefully... Within those five turns, players are completing sections. And when you complete a section, you get points for the size, which is marked on your board, how many points you get, plus the points depending on which round it is. If you finish in the first round, you get 10 points. Whoopee! Eventually, later in the game, say maybe the third round or the fourth round, players will start completing colors, which also gives first and second place bonuses to the players for filling all of one color in their estate. After five turns, at the end of each round, really three important things happen. You need to set out the next five trade goods, and you'll set them out one, two, three, four, five from top to bottom, and so people will be able to see which trade goods are coming out into those storage areas. But also, you're going to clear away any untaken tiles from both the outside and the center, and reload the board. 
And the board has specific colors printed on the board to tell you which kind of tile goes in which of the different pools on the sections one, two, three, four, five, and six. And then there's a specific number of black market tiles. All the black market tiles are separate. They all have a black back. And on the fronts, they're all a mix of all sorts of different kinds of tiles. And then the third thing that's important that happens at the end of each turn is you have to make sure that you pay people for the number of mines that they have. Of course, some people will have none, but whoever has mines will get one money for each mine that they have. And then at the end of five rounds, we have the end of the game, and you'll have most of your points already, something like 150 or so. Uh, you know, about 200 points wins this game, so it's a high-scoring game. To whatever you've already collected for completing sections, playing animals, selling trade goods, and finishing colors, you get a few extra little bonus points for, you get one point for each money you have, one point for every two workers that you have. You even get one point for any trade good that you have, but you haven't sold. Then finally, don't forget about those yellow tiles that give you scoring bonuses. Like I said, about half of them have some sort of end of game scoring bonus. For example, one of the most common is one that give you four points for each of a certain building type that you have. And so each of the players who have any of those bonus yellow tiles will count those up and add those to their final score. And at the end, the player with the most points will be the Burgermeister of De Bergen von Bergen and win the game. Part 3. The Hamster. How to win the game. So let's get you started with a little bit of basic strategy. If you are familiar with the game Carcassonne, you will understand what I mean when I say that this game is sort of a gambling game. Because in Carcassonne, basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to invest in things that you think you're going to be able to finish um, before anybody can mess with you. In this game, it's sort of the same way. You're deciding what you want to invest in and what you don't want to invest in. Because this game is all about getting that return on your investment, meaning finishing sections or finishing colors and getting full value on those victory point bonus tiles that you manage to get. You are not able to play all of this game. So what's funny is we play a lot of these games that you sort of have to, maybe there's three or four paths and you have to pick one to focus on. You can't do that in this game. I've tried. The first time I played this game, I was totally brain dead. And so I didn't really want to think that hard. And so my thought was, uh, all I'm going to do is try to get all the cows. And that worked okay for the first 20 minutes, and then I didn't think far enough ahead and lost terribly. You have to play most of this game. You have to play two-thirds of this game. And so you sort of have to choose which part of the games that you're not going to play. Maybe you say, all right, I'm not going to play a lot of boats. Or, you know what, as cute as those animals are, I'm not going to try to get a lot of animals. This is a game where my favorite strategy advice definitely works, and that is to do what the other players aren't doing. If you see multiple players focusing on the same color, maybe shy away from that color, trying to fill in those niches that the other players aren't as focused on. 
Obviously, since you get those big bonuses, you want to finish small sections early. And those large ones, they, they take a long time to do. You can get a lot of points for doing that, but you don't necessarily have to do that until the end of the game. So try to finish a few sections in that first A round and B round. Speaking of getting things early, talk about those yellows give you different scoring conditions. If you can get one of those or one that allows you to abuse a certain rule of the game, getting those early so that you can get full potential out of those will really help you out. Same thing with the mines. Obviously, the earlier you get those mines, the more they're going to pay off for you. The next thing is, although this game seems a lot like a multiplayer solitaire game, there are some important things that happen in interaction with the other players. Uh, one of those things is the color bonuses. If you've decided that you're really going to go for ships and you're going to finish your ships, be the first person to get ships. Pay attention to who else is going for ships and you know, use that turn track if you need to to get that bonus. Also, if you're, you know, if you're fighting for a certain tile, if you want to get that third castle to finish your dark green section and you know there's maybe only one castle there, get that turn order so that you can get the tiles that you need. And last thing I'd say is this this game reminds me in some ways of another, you know, classic gateway game and that is Ticket to Ride. I I think in this game when I've played it, I've gotten fixated about doing a certain thing. But when that round changes and those new tiles pop up, you really need to really explore and think about, okay, what else could I possibly do? Does this tile really help me better than say my original plan of getting all the cows? And, and sometimes you'll have to do this because a player will take the tiles that you wanted or, or multiple players will and so you have to really shift your focus and say okay that's not going to work or maybe that could work but what else could I do I think being flexible and really trying to take advantage of all the possibilities that those dice offer you and I think it's very possible to play this game better than your opponent although there is there is certainly luck involved but don't forget about those workers when we we're just talking about being flexible and thinking about all those possibilities it's easy to get locked in and say all right I have a four and a five what can I do with a four and a five when you have a worker you've got a three a four and a five and a six so there's a world of possibilities there for you to look for and you really should explore all of those and don't be afraid to punt Every once in a while, I know, you know, taking those two workers makes me very sad. You know, a little tear wells up in the corner of my eye because I feel like somehow I've messed up. But you know what? There are times when that is the best play because the flexibility of a couple more workers will really help you in the long run. So don't be afraid to take that action every once in a while. But that's it. That's all I'm going to tell you. I'll let you figure the rest out for yourself. I hope you have lots of fun trying to become the Burgermeister of De Bergen von Burgend. Part 4. Footnotes. Okay, just a couple of footnotes here. You may have heard me mention a few times that there are different boards. And, and that's one thing that's really kind of clever about this game is that the game gave you the option for all the players to have the same board or for players to have different boards. The game actually comes with six double-sided boards. 
and there's four copies of the same board and they recommend that you play with that board to start it has the castle in the center and all the players have that same board which makes things sort of fair and, and easier to figure out but right away with your second play, you could start to you know flip it over and explore the other boards, which it doesn't change the game a whole lot, but it does lead to some different strategies if you have a lot of small sections or some big sections, or it's very challenging if you actually have to start over in a corner instead of right in the middle. So I do appreciate that that was thought of uh, and included in the game. I always love these little you know extra ways to play these games, almost like little mini expansions when they actually just kind of include them in the box and you don't have to go seek them out. I think if you really want to, I think there are even more of these extra boards out there as, as sort of an expansion that you can find. But there's enough there in the box that you can play around with, experiment, and have fun. And then the second thing is those yellow technologies. I'm not going to go over and read what they all do. Um, each one, you know, it, it has, I talked about this on a recent episode of Ludology with Russ Wakelin. We were talking about some decisions that were made by the production team of the game. And I had a little mini rant about these yellow technologies because they try to iconify, you know, one to two sentences of rules and a couple of symbols, which is nearly impossible. And so fortunately they have a number on them. And whenever they pop up, I just recommend don't go through all of them at the beginning. Just when they come up, at the beginning of each round, you know, get out your rules and just read them to all the players so that everyone knows what they are. I mean, I would have preferred if they would have provided little player aids and maybe at least two of those so that those could just be, you know, right there for the players so that when they popped up, everybody could just, you know, look up and see what they did. But just be aware, you're going to have to do that. They are a little bit hard to puzzle out if you just try to guess by the iconography. But that's about it. I hope all of you that voted for this game to be on the How to Play podcast enjoyed that. And I enjoyed doing it. It's it's a fun game, and I do enjoy playing it. There are certainly a few more there on that request list that I'm looking forward to doing. I'm not sure if it's going to be the next one. We'll have to see what number 35 will bring. One other piece of How to Play news is that Randall Rasmussen has completed my first How to Play preview video. Randall and I have decided to go from these large format videos to these little small bite-sized videos that just sort of give you a taste of what happens in each episode. So that's our new strategy. So I hope you'll check that out. Though That will be available from our little How to Play video box there on the website or from our YouTube channel, How to Play Podcast. That is all from me here at the How to Play Studios, I think, for January. So I wish for you all a great month of gaming and hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Ryan Stern of the How to Play Podcast. That wraps up this episode of How to Play, but be sure to visit us on our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com for all the How to Play resources, to discuss the show, to contact me, or to show your appreciation for the show with a PayPal donation. I count on your support to help keep How to Play growing. If you use and love the How to Play podcast, I need your help. Show your appreciation by making a donation, spread the word about the show, and just let me know what you think about the show there at the Guild. Thanks again to you, the How to Play listeners around the world. And until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games. The How to Play podcast is part of the Dice Tower Network, the premier board gaming media network, featuring Ludology, 
and the flagship podcast, The Dice Tower. Find out more at dicetowernetwork.com.